0: with John Bowd.
1: www.tracksfm.org.
0: Hello, listeners. Welcome once again to All the Rage. Thank you very much for listening, as uh, I know you often do, and thank you very much for listening this week because I'm very pleased to say that once again I have a guest, uh, someone who I'm very excited to talk to, and I'm going to hand over to them now. Uh, please introduce yourself.
1: Hi, John. Great to great to be on the show. My name's Nick Dowson. I'm a co-editor at New Internationalist, um, kind of global justice affairs magazine. Um, I've got a kind of personal interest in, I mean, investigative journalism. I've got kind of reporting experience and writing around kind of public services, the climate crisis, housing technology. And uh, yeah, obviously the climate crisis is, is some of what we're here to chat about today. So yeah, looking forward to the conversation.
0: Right. Yeah. Actually, everything you mentioned there, I could do a show on. So uh, here's a, immediately extend you an invite to come back for numerous shows. Uh, but yeah, as you say, we're going to specifically be talking about the climate crisis. And uh, very specifically, we're going to be talking about renewable energy. So I first contacted you uh, after I had read very recently in the Internationalist magazine a little bit about renewable energy, wrote a really, uh, really informative, really concise article, which I liked very much, and pilfered massively for this show, uh, as I have been doing from from New Internationalist since this show started. So renewable energy, Let, let's just kick off with this. So, so for the, the layperson, myself included sometimes on this one, doesn't always understand what something like this... What is renewable energy, uh, and how does it differ from the existing methods that we use for generating our energy?
1: So, I mean, think broadly speaking, renewable energy is—I guess—it's energy that is, you know, energy sources that are self-renewing. They're not—they're not finite. They're not gonna—they're not gonna run out. And you know, in a in a sense, renewable in energy isn't new. Um, renewable energy is what kind of you know, windmills and water mills used kind of traditional agriculture in the sense is powered off renewable energy, right? It's, um, you know, it it gets its energy from the sun, which is is where plants get their energy from through photosynthesis. And then I guess modern renewable energy, we're talking about particularly kind of wind and solar, so wind farms um, and solar energy, of which there are various different types. Solar PV, like photovoltaic panels is the kind of, what we hear about the most and these differ from I, I guess I guess the major forms of energy in the modern world have, have mainly been kind of fossil fuels and 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 there's a few problems with them which I think your readers will your readers your listeners will be will be quite familiar with um I mean one of them is that they're going to run out um although arguably not soon enough another one is that the use of fossil fuels contributes it, it is the major cause of climate change um it produces greenhouse gases, which um, which are changing our climate in, in ways that are going to be devastating and are already devastating for many people. But I think it's also I think it's also worth mentioning the kind of human cost. of A lot of fossil fuels emissions are kind of harmful for, for people's health, but like the extraction of fossil fuels is also hugely harmful. Um, so if you look at the kind of oil producing regions in like the Niger Delta, for example, where like having life expectancies are in the forties. Because of the like kind of wide, widespread kind of damage to the local environment, the kind of poisoning of, of people's, people's environment and livelihoods. Uh, And you see lots of like kind of forms of that across fossil fuel usage. I mean, I guess the other, I mean, I mentioned it in passing. The other, the other major form of energy that is not fossil fuels would be nuclear. And again, that's not a renewable energy because, because it relies on very finite supplies of. Uranium, for example, but um, yeah, I mean, I guess the discussion of the kind of pros and cons of that is is more than we have time for today. I think
0: I would be interested in maybe at a later date in going to that because I know that nuclear comes up um, along with hydrogen stuff like that. As people say, oh, this is a would I be right in saying that some people present it as a transitional energy at the very least, or something else. And I I, I do wonder if there, there's a little bit of fluff around that which I find difficult to penetrate to kind of find out what the truth is about whether or not those those energies really can provide a decent bridge between you know fully renewable and and what we're doing at the moment just just to sum up my you know the, the position I have on uh the, the present energy system is yes it's uh it's dirty it's dangerous it's killing us and it's running out not quite sure why there seems such resistance <laughs> to switch from fossil fuels but there you are. And that's before yeah. you get into the very rightly uh, mentioned point you have there—the fact that it does a tremendous amount of damage to people's lives all over the world, uh, which is uh, an important riposte to those who who want to live in uh, isolation of some description. As we're hearing a lot of, on different subjects, right, at the time we're, we're, we're talking here, uh, obviously um, what's happening in Palestine is getting a lot of attention here in Britain. And uh, you hear the usual kind of remarks of, of kind of isolationist, what's this got to do with us? And I go, well, firstly, I'll give you a quick history lesson. But then this is a, this is a good example, I think, of if something that you use here and the effects it has on other parts of the world. So, sorry, I'm, r- I'm rambling slightly, but I'm just saying I liked your answer very much there. You covered a lot of very good ground. There is, th- let's talk a little bit about that resistance people have. And I understand to some degree, you know, you're, if you're reading the kind of regular press or, or, or let's just say absorbing traditional media, uh, which is very resistant for various reasons to a change in our energy supply. But we're here to kind of, to some degree, bust those myths. So, as you've said there, I think that's worth delving into a little bit. Is that renewable energy is not finite, as opposed to what we're using now. Uh, the, as you say, the wind isn't going to stop blowing, and the sun isn't going to stop shining. Do you, do you, is there anything else really, like as as a basic to say to people, like, no, this is, and also the fact that solar panels work on days when the sun isn't brightly shining too, which is something I feel you have to explain to people sometimes. You know, uh, the solar panel on my radio yeah. works. You know, on a day that's cloudy.
1: I, I say wind and solar because they're the main, they're the dominant forms of renewable energy that are kind of on the rise and have like a huge potential for growth. So there is also like hydropower, I guess is the, is another kind of common one and is, is one that has been a major source of electricity for, for quite some time. I mean, I think it's interesting that hydroelectricity hasn't been, doesn't get the same attention now. And I think a lot of that is because it comes with like significant arms. Like there, there are different ways of doing it, but you know, if you're talking about doing kind of major damming of, of kind of water courses, like you know, it, that takes away people's livelihoods. It 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 does environmental damage in the local area, um, and and there is a limit to how to to like the places you can do that. There are other ways of doing it. Kind of, I think it's called like run-of-river, like smaller-scale hydroelectricity that don't carry on the same arms. And then I guess there's other forms of so like geothermal energy is used in some parts of the world. I guess Iceland's like the obvious example, but kind of more modern technology means that it can be used in in other places. So the I, th- I think that there's I think there's trials of geothermal electricity in Cornwall, maybe. I'm not sure exactly where that's got. I think geothermal is probably more expensive than wind and solar, but it has the potential to provide power like more of the time. So you know could could be a useful addition to to the system. And then there's there's I guess kind of like wave and tidal power. Now they haven't really come that far you know, Tidal has some potential and and there are places where it, it could really provide some power, but I think Wave is really in its infancy. Yeah, again, there there they would be kind of pros to those forms of power, but also they're likely to be quite expensive.
0: Yeah, it's, it's too early to tell, really, isn't it, with, with the Tidal? But, you know, worth keeping an eye on, I suppose. It's, it's, it's something. So I want to get into... The response from the corporate world on this because uh, isn't renewable energy has gone from being you know entirely resisted to now there's a little bit of interest in it from what we might broadly call green capitalism now to use uh technical terminology i know green capitalism to some degree is basically bullshit but i just wanted to kind of unpack why that is and specifically why there there really isn't a capitalist solution to this to to our energy needs so for want of a better, I'll ask a few questions and we can just, the answer can just kind of involve all of this. You know, what is green? How do we best respond to green capitalism? How has a corporate world reacted to this transition? You know, what's in it for them? And do you think this represents, what we're talking about here represents some kind of new economy? And I, 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 I say that with the caveat of saying that I, I do realise that this, the notion of – I've kind of almost contradicted myself in those questions because the notion of making money out of this is the problem, I think, in the first place. Um, again, sort of public ownership, et we'll, well, maybe we'll get into that in a minute. But, but yeah, do you, what what do we know? What Where do we come up with green capitalism here? And what's in it for the corporations? And uh, and is this a new economy?
1: Yeah, really good questions, John. And, um, uh, yeah, I guess a lot to say on all of them. I mean obviously you've kind of got me on the show because of um this issue of the internationalist i've just edited on what we called kind of climate capitalism but but it's essentially what you're talking about I, I guess the first thing to say is that capitalism which is to say like you know the major businesses and corporations that kind of drive our economy have responded to climate change in the in the way they respond to kind of everything else they see it as an opportunity you know, to make a quick profit, basically. And that that's taken various forms. This isn't one kind of big monolithic entity that we're talking about. This is, you know, different different corporations have different interests, like the fossil fuel companies, the kind of, the car companies have, have responded by, you know, the fossil fuel companies denied that climate change was a thing, they kind of distorted the facts, and they've, you know, they've tried to push us into false solutions. And and the kind of balance of them has changed a bit, like, you know, the balance is now more on the kind of pushing us towards false solutions than it is, like, outright climate denialism because because there's so much awareness of, of the problem. Other interests have, have not responded in the same ways. Um, so, like, I guess the rise of kind of climate capitalism can be seen as the rise of kind of, you know, some, in some cases it is fossil f- companies that were fossil fuel companies who have, like, diversified and are now producing energy from renewables or have in in some cases completely completely made the switch and I, I, and and see profit to be made in in that area as well in other cases it's kind of companies seeing an opportunity to profit from false solutions so when i talk about false solutions i guess we're talking about things like great green hydrogen which is not to say there's no role for green hydrogen but like the way it is talked about it is massively overhyped, and 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 mm. frankly, a lot of it doesn't make sense. That that's a, that's a whole other thing to get into. Uh, and then I guess we're also talking about things like uh sometimes they call carbon offsets or kind of nature-based solutions, which is this idea you can, rather than actually reducing greenhouse gas emissions, instead you pay for someone to do something which reduces carbon emissions elsewhere. So, for example, uh reforestation. And this is a problem both because it's like distracting us from the real solutions, but also because a lot of these false solutions are harmful, like carbon offset projects have been shown to kind of often like dispossess in, indi- indigenous groups and also also often like don't don't create the benefits that they say they're going to create. And I guess this is how we see that green capitalism is is not all that different to uh, the capitalism we had before. It's harming people where where corporations see an opportunity to make a to make a profit from harmful activities, whether that's carbon offsets or whether it's uh, like renewable projects. So, in the magazine, we talked about some of the renewable projects that are that are kind of underway or have been built in North Africa. So, there's there's a major kind of solar. Power station in Morocco called uhazza i i i I'm not sure how you pronounce it so um don't don't take that as um as gospel but it's a really major solar power station and it's, it's a type of solar power called concentrated solar power basically you have lots of mirrors that concentrate the power of the sun to this central tower um and and then use that to drive to run there's just one slight hitch well may, maybe a couple of slight hitches like the first First, being that uh, the land it was built on was is was land used by agro-pastoralists, so like nomadic people in the area. And the other one is that it uses major amounts of water to kind of both to clean the like panels, but also to, um, I think, to drive the turbines as well. Maybe you need some water, or or to cool the turbines. And and this is in a region that is also very arid and getting increasingly arid from because of climate change. And again that 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 means that what is diverted being diverted from the needs of local people for kind of farming and and, and obviously you know living to power in this project which is which is running for profit basically maybe i'm rambling a bit in response to your question but i guess i guess that kind of example those examples shows a few of the dynamics of, of kind of climate capitalism which is we have these multiple different impacts and harms so we have the harms of climate crisis and and these are affecting people in the in the Global South worst, and they're also affecting, you know, some of the least well-off people, indigenous peoples, and um, deprived communities, the worst. And then you have the harms of kind of fossil fuel extraction, so in the Niger Delta, for example. And then you have the harms of, you know, new renewable projects, for example, or other forms of kind of, you know, the ways in which corporations are responding to the climate crisis, that in some ways can be seen as useful or, or a false solutions, but ultimately they're causing more harms. And then you have, you have the combination of these things. So you have a combination of like the move from fossil fuels to mm. new forms of energy, and that creates kind of harms at both okay. ends. When an oil company pa- packs up and leaves a the community, they don't generally do a very good job of clearing up behind them. And they don't, you know, they're more interested in, Getting a quick buck than they are in like helping people, you know, transition to new well paying jobs or creating new industries for that, that can, that can be the kind of lifeblood of, of these communities. And then you have harms on the kind of incoming side because you have to build these new renewable projects and they're often, they're not always being, being done with like proper consent of like local people. And then also some of these new green technologies, so particularly electric vehicles. And I know this is what something you want us to get, in, get into a bit more later on. They have, they have their own material impacts. You have to mine the minerals and the metals, you know, lithium, rare earth metals, um, cetera, that, that are needed to, to produce these new technologies. You have all these things happening simultaneously, I guess, is the point I, I, I was getting to. So you have all the impacts of both the climate crisis and the way in which capitalism is kind of adapting from it, and you know, moving a bit too slowly, but moving in the direction mm. of like addressing it in some ways, but also looking to profit from the way it does that. And and at the end of the day, it's people who pay the. I, I was just going to say, I don't know. I don't know if that answered your question. I think there were there were, there were a few points you wanted me to come back on. So yeah. Maybe. maybe
0: yeah. No, it was or. only that Yeah. I mean, what I'm I would build on that. What you said there was that. I think that there is a perhaps a natural feeling among a lot of everyday folk that there is a scientific solution to these problems, which is more, I think, a hope and a prayer than an actual fact sometimes. Oh, there must be something we can come up with that's going to stop this happening. And on the other side of that, there's the market solution, which is beneficial to people who just want to continually make endless profit out of absolutely everything, as if there was never going to be any kind of limitation to that never could be any kind of limitation to that etc both of them have a certain immaturity to them which which irates me a lot but I understand to some degree the former a hell of a lot more than the latter and I think that People just need to understand that this involves, you know, strong direct action and, and a very severe degree of change. And again, I'm glad you mentioned, you know, the removing of people from indigenous lands. I was just remembering when you said carbon credits, I just had, suddenly had a flashback to um how the fact that, yeah, in the kind of the, the mid-2000s, they were, um, if you'll pardon the pun, they were all the rage. Everyone was going on about them all the time. And then uh, I think, again, it was New Internationalists did a really good job at that time of of um, demystifying Uh, or or cutting through the bollocks, it'd be another way of saying it, about how they really weren't actually this. You know, you can't actually release carbon into the environment and then go, oh, but I can pay someone else to kind of plant some trees for me or whatever. It doesn't really work like that, mate. And I didn't do very well in science when I was in school, but even I managed to work that bit out. So someone made this spoof
1: website around, you know, around the time you're talking about the kind of 2000s um, I think it was called like cheat offsetting. So it was—I mean, it was a complete spoof. But um, you know, the idea was that you could um, cheat on your partner, but then you could pay someone else not to cheat in order to make it all okay. I mean, it's not—it's not a perfect analogy for um, carbon offsetting, but I think the basic point is there. Like, it's not really the solution, is it? <laughs> and I think everyone knows that, even when yeah. they pretend not to.
0: So if if we're working within the what's being offered to us at the moment within within the system that we're stuck with um, is there any way in which any kind of green economic agenda could be productive or is it just basically fatally flawed at its heart for some many like the reasons you just mentioned is there any is there any way at least in an interim way that we could actually build on that or is it just like no we've just we've got to scrap the green capitalist bollocks and just get on with, with actually solving the problem.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I guess there's a kind of philosophical question, there about like, is it possible for, for this problem to be solved under capitalism? And, and I don't know the answer to that, I suppose. I mean, maybe it is theoretically possible, but I don't think. I think it's very unlikely. Like, we've seen... The kind of the analogy I always think of is is it's a bit like whack-a-mole. Like trying to solve anything under capitalism is a bit like whack-a-mole because fundamentally these corporations are not interested in. They work under a legal structure which which says that they have to prioritise profit, and and that is what they do. And that means that they, you know, cut corners where they need to cut corners in order to make a profit. They're not fundamentally set up to prioritize doing what's best for most people and doing what's best for the planet. Um, and so you can, I guess you can try and kind of regulate, you can try and create new markets, which is, which is what's happened. Um, you know, there's been phenomenal amounts of state subsidies poured into creating markets in renewable energy. And now that's happening in kind of green hydrogen, which is a total waste of money, but, um, that's an aside. And ultimately, like, all that regulation it does is kind of shift the problem around. I mean, maybe it makes it a bit better, but, you know, you you move from fossil fuels to renewable energy, but you harm a different set of Indigenous people. I mean, to be honest, often it's the same Indigenous people who get harmed by both kinds of projects. And I think if you want to solve the problem, fundamentally what you need to do is you need a transition that's, like, carried out democratically. You know, everyone has to be involved in, in creating it and deciding how you do it. And like making sure we could do it in a way that is both as fast as possible and which like protects like everyone's kind of lives is involved. So we need to just transition. And, and that that is not going to be one that capitalists want to sell us. So we have to do it ourselves. I mean, I guess we can look, you know, we can look at some of the examples where this is being done better. Like there's places in Latin America where where there are already a kind of existing like public electricity systems that have a lot of that use a lot of renewables i think i think costa rica is quite an interesting example it, their electricity system their electricity system sorry is almost entirely publicly run as i understand it they both have a kind of like national state bodies but they also have some, some kind of renewable they have some more local cooperatives as i understand it and these they all kind of work together and i think they produce I think it's something like 99% of their electricity is, is renewable. Or maybe it's, maybe it's 100%. Now, obviously they still have cars that run on fossil fuels. So like, yeah, I'm not saying they're all the way there, but, but, but you know, if they can do it, why can't, why can't we? And then we can look through other examples. So like, I think there's, there's been some quite interesting examples collected from around Europe, like the Netherlands and Belgium, for example, of, of kind of major like retrofit projects or like energy efficiency projects that have been done in public hands. Uh, and that's a big part of what we need as well, because we can talk about renewable energy and that's, that's an important part of what we need to solve the climate crisis, but we also need to reduce the amount of energy we we use. and uh, And in fact, that's one of the quickest ways we can, we can kind of get to solutions is by looking at like, you know, what are practical ways of saving energy and energy efficiency measures uh, uh, and we need, a lot of the time that means quite, you know, quite comprehensive changes to like houses for example, like here in Britain, our uh, housing stock is, is terrible, like I mean, I live in a damp cold house, as do many people, and, and and to do that you can't just put a few incentives in place and, you know, give kind of peace bill subsidies, you have to, you have to do something more comprehensive, which like, can kind of go in and transform, like, neighbourhoods and like Turn like leaky houses into like houses that lose very little energy and are uh, well ventilated while, you know, being quite easy to heat. You need, you need like communal level, like large scale heat pumps, which are like super energy efficient. But like, yeah, the most practical way of installing them isn't for everyone to have their own heat pump. It's, it's to have large scale kind of community ones that, you know, pump pump pumps into people's houses. I mean. I'm assuming, I'm assuming we're talking about cities here, obviously, like situations down for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, I think, I think that's the solution to look at how we have kind of democratic and public transition. And and that means, I mean, really, it means a much bigger role for the state. And it also means dem- democratizing the state. I mean, again, you you know, we can get into what that means. Like, I'm not talking about a kind of a command economy here, but um we need something that's very different from just, you know, the state kind of trying to regulate its way out of the, this problem and like provide the right subsidies.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's, I find that fascinating because there's, that, that opens up so many other things. So, one, one is, and I think that you discuss this really well. I'm really glad that you discussed this in the, in the issue of uh, New Internationalists, which is about the importance of wrestling away the, Increased cost, i.e., the increased profit to the com- the existing companies right now, because if you have renewable energy or you know a re- existing fossil fuel energy, and your energy company still keeps putting your prices up, we are not going to see a genuine benefit for that, and people are obviously going to be turned off by it. So, for starters, before we get into anything else, the people supplying this, the companies rather supplying this, need to be uh, regulated, which is. Uh, it's regulated is a good word in my mind. It's a polite way of saying they need to be controlled because some pe- some people talk about an, a degree of control in that. So yes, absolutely. Wouldn't you prefer that I controlled your electricity company and stop them from ripping you off? But anyway, that's something else. Uh, and yeah, as a state measure, you're, you're quite right. I mean that. But we we also right now, while we're we're discussing this, we're sitting here in Britain, which has had a forty-plus year onslaught of anti-state politics, and it's allowed it to become the norm. Uh, you know not maybe not as bad as america but very similar you know small state small state not, not intervening blah 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 or things go wrong i mean again this is why it's important to have memory it's it's something as i said carbon credits we mentioned a minute ago and i was talking about sort of 15 20 years ago when they were being talked about i also feel like just just to give an example on the importance of people understanding if if the narrative is continually repeated that the state was bad or the state did this inefficiently. And we all know that's crap, especially now. And especially if you're looking around at former public services in this country, like, don't get me started on the trains. And you obviously start, you've mentioned housing, which is a very, very good example. But to give another example to listeners, I feel like um, I have to say to younger people now, you know, there was a time when it wasn't a known, it wasn't a given that cigarettes cause cancer. And what I mean by that is it's something you have to keep reminding people to say, I know it's become something that's a given, but you know there used to be a great deal of corporate resistance to that being found out. And equally, I think, I know it's now supposedly a given in our society that private runs better than public, but not only is that not true, it's not in your interests. It's not in my interests, and you have to resist that. So we have a huge psychological battle, I think, ahead of us too on this along with actually transitioning to the renewables. I mean, how, what do you, what, how would you assess what I've said? But do, do you think that's accurate? And, and do, do we know where we're, we're going with this?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I guess I was just going to say that the great irony of it, like responding to what you're saying, is that, you know, of course, the business models of, of all these corporations like rely on the state and, and the government. Like, you yes, know, fossil fuel, the fossil fuel industry is relying on like, trillions of dollars worth of like subsidies every year, you know, it wouldn't work without that. And, and the same is true with renewable energy, not exactly the same, but like, um, you know, again, the kind of, you know, all these, these major companies that are now profiting from, from renewables, uh, again, their kind of business models rely on like, lots of complicated kind of markets that have been brought into existence by states. Yeah, again, as I mentioned before, the same is true with, with green hydrogen, which, which in mean, Europe, is pushing
0: particularly strongly. How effective do you think electric vehicles can be or will be going forward in in this transition?
1: So, sure, I think um, I think the evidence is fairly clear that um, electric cars are better than fossil fuel cars when it co- when it comes to their kind of emissions, um, you know, reducing greenhouse gas emissions, and also the kind of like you know the air pollution that like calms our lungs and, and our bodies. But I guess ultimately the kind of best solution for transport is like high-quality electrified public transport. You know, whether that's trains or buses or or trolleybuses. I guess when we look at kind of electric vehicles and electric cars, we see the issues are much more complicated than just how much energy they use. So there's also the impact of kind of producing, building the cars, often referred to as embodied carbon, and we should be worried about how much energy it was to. How much energy it will take to produce millions of new cars if if we're just talking about kind of swapping out all the cars that are on the road for like electric ones that's obviously going to take a long time and also it's it's going to require a lot of energy and a lot of kind of minerals to do it and mining minerals like lithium as as i kind of touched on earlier requires a lot of mining and a lot of associated impacts and harm to the people who work in or live near those mines yeah it, it it potentially means kind of moving huge amounts of earth, and at, at a time when you know we're also seeing kind of a lot of fossil fuel extraction still continuing to kind of expand. So yeah, I think that's a worry. Um, recycling of minerals is part of the answer, but ultimately, I, I think the main thing is is a kind of reduction in car use. We don't all need private cars. Cars can be smaller, kind uh, of smaller batteries. Move away from SUVs, and best of all, we can use public transport, which is much more energy efficient and keeps our streets and neighbourhoods kind of good for
0: people. What is the the best things that we as citizens citizens of the world, in fact, sorry, Theresa May, that that is something that just um, what what is the best thing that we can do, sort of going forward on this? Where where can we kind of aim our uh, our energies? Because I think that's something else that, that people perhaps can find overwhelming sometimes. It's like, what can I do about this? And uh, what can a little people like me do about this? And and how much impact can I actually have? Uh, what, what, what do you think are the best things we can do on, on this subject? I mean, I think the, the key thing really is kind of building networks of solidarity. So like,
1: you know, whether that's kind of getting involved in our trade unions or, you know, kind of community, community unions, like renters unions and build, building links between all these groups, So so that we can kind of demand the kind of changes that are needed and and, and demand that they're done well, whether that's kind of better better housing stock or like new green jobs, which are are good jobs, uh, like give people good livelihoods and and kind of job security and so on. But I, I guess also kind of building solidarity, like both with affected communities in the global north and also in the global south. And the solution needs to be one that is kind of internationally just. So it needs to, it needs to work for, for the many parts of the world, which have been hardest hit by climate change and which, which have also been, you know, obviously exploited by the colonialism of the past and and the kind of green colonialism of the present. Yeah. I mean, I think in terms of. You know, through groups such as trade unions, we can kind of push for renewable energy, and we can push for this shift in production to kind of happen and happen faster. But, but in public hands, and make sure, yeah, I, I guess, guess also kind of push for the political changes we need. So we need a we need a planned transition that that both both so that it can happen as fast as possible, we can move away from fossil fuels as fast as possible. But also to ensure that kind of workers and communities like don't lose out with the major industrial changes that will be needed. I mean, I know we're both kind of speaking from Britain and yeah, bit of a bit of a dire political landscape at the moment. Um, obviously, I guess there's kind of there are some kind of opportunities for kind of, you know, things we can push on. So like the Labour Party has said that they will, if they're elected, which, which obviously, there's quite a good chance there will be that they'll create this. I think they've called it Great British Energy, so a new publicly owned clean energy company. That's what they call it. Now, I think it's, I think it's not totally clear what it will be look like. What it will look like, you know, if it's just another renewable company that is also publicly owned. I mean, that's it's a step in the right direction, but, but I think I think a lot of pressure will be needed on Kirst Armour and the Labour Party to make sure that does actually happen and also to go beyond it, you know, really we need the whole electricity system to be in public hands. Like, I think there's, yeah, there's lots of major issues at present. Obviously lots of people are paying a huge amount for their energy and that that's creating like massive energy poverty and like the way we tackle the climate crisis also needs to tackle that and, and I don't think, I'm just not sure we can do that and also you know, solve energy poverty and solve the climate crisis and also pay for all the corporations involved in this to make massive profits. Um, mm-hmm. To slightly paraphrase someone in the magazine I edited, which, I mean, I will read the quote. I think it's worthwhile. So this was um, Thea Rio-Francos, who's a, who's a kind of scholar and activist in North America who works a lot around kind of extractive in, and extractive industries, and then she, she looks kind of green... You know mining for the green economy which is some of these corporations are pulling out of kind of offshore wind plans recently because the costs have gone up massively and and so it's it's no longer feasible for them to do them at the prices that they were going to do that you know that they'd committed with governments to do them for as thea said to, to quote her you know this forces the question why do we need to not just socially pay for all the costs of the transition but on top of that ensure it's profitable for capitalists i mean we shouldn't need to, and and I don't think like ultimately we can do that, and it be a fair transition and the speed needed. Yeah, I mean just to go back back to to Britain, I mean yeah, there's the energy system, and I think I think everyone knows it's not working. Um, I, I mean there's also water, for example, like you know everyone knows that the water companies are like taking loads of our money and siphoning it off into profits and continuing to like leak water and dump sewage into seas and rivers as, as, as we do so and and there's like you know there's a lot of anger about these things uh, and we we need to make sure that that's channeled not just into a kind of like half-hearted attempt to like regulate them a little bit better which you know would be a step in the right direction but like fundamentally these are natural monopolies we're talking about they should be in public hands with the energy system, the water system to work properly, it needs to be done in public hands. And and that's the way that we bring
0: down costs for everyone and and create a better environment. I completely agree. And uh, I think that, as has been pointed out by smarter minds than me, but I'll say it now anyway, uh, the water comes out of the same pipes. So why should there be three or four different companies you have to pay <laughs> for doing that? You go down the end of your street, there it's isn't bizarre, a central isn't pipe yeah. marked Centrica or separate pipe marked uh, British Gas or anything like that, you know, Uh, and not to mention the fact that they crib huge amounts of profits while making, you know, the lives of others miserable, not least their own workforce. Um, I'm looking at you British Gas with fire and rehire. Uh, You know, there's, there's no reason why we should make any allowance for these folks. They're, um, I mean, for any number of reasons, but here's one that's maybe just not said enough. They're bad people. They're, They're bad. These companies are populated by very bad folks. Sounded a bit Trumpian, pardon me, but they are. But yeah, it is. They are. They're just. Uh, we don't need to worry about uh, profits for for them. They've got more than enough. If something happens in any industry they don't like, they just drop it and and scarper anyway. So uh, now we give them incentive to drop it and scarpa because you say you're not going to get all of this that you want out of this situation. But on the other hand, we are. We are going to get decent, affordable, publicly owned energy that doesn't burn up the planet. I don't see how that's A problem. There's there's a there's a wider and I've been thinking about this on the show recently actually. I won't go on about this for too long. But there is a wider kind of psychological aspect to life in Britain right now, which I just find so deeply disturbing, which is acceptance of the idea of none of us are allowed to have anything good. We we're not you know, there any other part of the world other countries in the world that also have their own share of god awful neoliberal politics, but still they can have publicly owned transport, they can have publicly owned energy, they can have decent streets, they can the high street being a great example, you know as, uh, someone said this on Navara the other day which was uh, uh you know, the, the kind of natural habits to go, oh, well, we just just dismiss the state of our high streets because everyone's buying everything on the internet. Well, people are buying things on the internet in other countries too, but even other parts of Europe, you know, quite close to home, all you've got to do is walk around and see, do their high streets look as absolutely desecrated as ours do? You've got to break this notion of person in power tells you you don't deserve anything and you just accept it. So uh, that's something I'm a little bit obsessed with. But I, I, I think what what's interesting for me, certainly about the show we've just done, is that, a standing on its own, this has re- been a really informative and interesting discussion about renewable energy. And thank you, I, as someone who only knows a little bit about it, I feel more informed going out. But it also feeds into the kind of wider projects I've got on this show, which is just getting people to in in Britain, among other places. But specifically, right now, it's just to get up off your knees and stop thinking that you're worthless. Okay, demand demand renewable energy, demand publicly owned assets and benefits that are for all of us. That would be my message going out on the show tonight. I don't know. Do you have anything else you want to add before we go?
1: Yeah, I mean, I wholeheartedly agree, and um, yeah, really glad we've we've had had an opportunity to have a to have a chat about all of this, John. It's been been a pleasure. I mean, I guess I'd just say, yeah, if uh, any of your listeners feel like giving giving the magazine a read, there's there's loads of good good pieces in there from um, yeah, lots of people on the kind of front lines of, of this struggle so yeah do check out new internationalist as well
0: thank you you yeah, know we'll definitely include links on all of the show notes for the magazine that's new internationalist which you can buy uh, as a subscription or individual copies you can buy print or you can buy digital download uh, in order to read the magazine any way that that suits your purposes so with that in mind uh nick dowson thank you so much mate for being on all the rage it's been an absolute pleasure uh, and i would Give you an open invitation to come back any time and talk about this issue or any other issues. Uh, I believe in your introduction you meant some, mentioned something we were talking about social housing, which I would love to do a show on at some point. So uh, you're more than welcome to, to check uh, check out and and come back on that. So, but in the meantime, thank you very much for your time, mate. Really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, and you too, John. Yeah, cheers for cheers for all your work on this. And um, uh, yeah, all the best. Hope we hope we can catch up again at some point. All the rage
0: with John Bowd. www.tracksfm.org